This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's show, we go behind the scenes of the campaigns with Monitor Photo Editor Jeff Forster. So my name's Clay Wirestone. I'm a writer and editor here at the Monitor, and I'm glad to welcome our managing editor, John Van Fleet. Hi, John. Hi, Clay. <laughs> good to be back. It's good to see you. And um, for the first time on our podcast, the Monitor's photo editor, Jeff Forrester. Hi, Jeff. Great to be here. <laughs> it's good to have you. So, Jeff, over this last week, as kind of the campaigning has ramped up in the state, um, you've been doing some shooting on a couple of our day in the life features with candidates. So, who did you who did you follow around? Well, on Tuesday, um, Nick Reed and I followed uh, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz from Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a rather busy day. We started at uh, seven thirty, leaving from the office, and we started at ten o'clock in North Conway, and we made our way to the seacoast uh, with Scott Brown's. No BS barbecue, which is a great event. Okay. And then uh, yesterday, uh, Lodi Reed and I followed uh, Chris Christie around. Mm-hmm. That was, was great fun. It, it is ramping up. Uh, both Liz Franz and I uh, shot two candidates for our Day on the Trail series uh, because it's getting down to the wire. Both of your, both of your days, they were really long. Right, the uh, the cruise day wasn't that twelve hours. Um, actually, it was fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! Before we got back. So, how did you feel after? <laughs> uh, John, I'm still exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I ask is, how do you think these candidates keep up the pace? I mean, because we do it one day and we're like totally wiped out, and these guys are on the bus day after day after day, hitting the trail. And gals. And gal. <laughs> and gals. Yeah. Well, Chris Christie did talk about that a little bit, and um, when, especially when they have the bus, uh, he talked about trying to get in little naps. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, that was his phrase, little, a little nap. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I wondered about that, because they have to be so on, and uh, you would think that after a while, because like you said, we were exhausted after one day. Mm-hmm. Um, to keep up that pace, uh, I, w- I was impressed with both of their the, the candidates that mm-hmm. uh, they were on, and especially Ted Cruz. I thought his last event was the he was at his best. Mm-hmm. Well, I've often noticed actually that was the one in Rye. Yeah, the no BS, no bologna sauce barbecue. <laughs> that would be correct with Scott Brown. Um, and, uh, yeah, he was definitely at his best. His sharpest message, uh, answered a lot of questions, uh, did very well. I mean, I've often noticed when candidates come in here to the monitor to do editorial board meetings um, to kind of make their case, and we had a Jeb Bush here at the monitor on Thursday, um, and I don't actually want to say that Jeb Bush was, the, was one of the candidates who did this, but occasionally other candidates will kind of take the editorial board meeting as, and you can tell it, you can see it, as just kind of an opportunity to 
kind of sit back, kind of relax, you know, kind of take that. I mean, it's funny because it's still like in front of a room full of reporters, but like that's their rest compared to a, to a rally where you have to just be like projecting vim and pit pep and vigor all the time. They're all really good because in our edit boards too, we're live streaming them. And so they're aware that if they say something really stupid or heaven forbid, they've got a big something hanging out of their nose, you know, <laughs> the, the whole world can see, right? right. An, an embarrassing moment is they are live streamed, you know, and they are graceful. They are, they are articulate. There's very rarely do we have someone that just kind of is a complete mess that, mm-hmm. you know, rambles like we do on the podcast. Right. That <laughs> says a lot of ums and you knows. They are As all, we do in the podcast. Right. They're all pretty much on message. I, I would say the most unorthodox was John Kasich because of the way it was early. He hadn't announced yet. His daughter was outside in the waiting room and... She she barged in twice, and his other daughter had won a, a a race in a track meet, a relay race. Her team had advanced to the finals, and he was hugging one daughter and high-fiving the members of the editorial board, and everyone gathered around and watched a video on his cell phone. It was, are they twins? I think they, they are. They're twins. I think so they are. there was are. that whole thing going on, oh, too. It was, it was the oddest. Right. Um. But if you remember when Bernie was here, he, it was it was pretty relaxed. Hillary was pretty relaxed, articulate mm-hmm. but relaxed, subdued. And then you see her on TV at the next event, and it's like you know, well, and that's all what I the juices are flowing. And that's what I mean. I mean, they're certainly on message. They're certainly careful, but you know, they, it's it's okay to let the the energy level dip a bit when you're in front of the the editorial board. And what I noticed between the two candidates this week. Uh, uh, Ted Cruz and Chris Christie, uh, very different styles. Cruz, same message. Um, you could almost, at the end of the night, recite what he was saying because mm-hmm. it's 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 so structured. And uh, and then he'll take a couple of questions and he he tries to really relate to whoever is asking a question, and then contrast that with. Chris Christie, which is totally off the cuff, um, we went to a, a sheriff's department and uh, had a, a di- nice discussion with, with those. But it, it's just a totally different style. Well, and Christie's the one who's trying to do the classic kind of come-from-behind New Hampshire style in his, in his campaign of doing a lot of engage, engaging with voters, having that kind of loose, unscripted interaction that you know John McCain... Um, you know, kind of used so effectively here. And it resonates um, mm-hmm. uh, because he can make a very quick connection with people. Um, mm-hmm. And then Jonathan got to sharpen his photo skills uh, yesterday. The, the Jeb, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I took some photos. It was it was good. Uh, the challenge there, I think, uh, gaining increased appreciation for our photo friends was taking photos that doesn't make the candidate look silly and and doesn't also look like an advertisement for Poland Spring water because they always have a water bottle sitting about six inches in front of their chest. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, you got to get down on one knee, you got to get to over here. 
Um, I was proud of a tweet I sent out too. You know, kind of an avant-garde because we had Jeb on the camera or the the cell phone, as it were, and then Jeb on the laptop computer, and then Jeb in the flesh, right, right in front. So we had Jeb times three right there. But it shows that uh, things are ramping up because both of the photo staff are doing a day on the trail and. There's other candidates all over the place, and including a, um, a, a sit-down with Jeb Bush. So Jonathan had to get into the mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you, uh, you were saying that there, um, uh, Liz was also doing some days in the life this last week. So who was, who was she following? Um, Marco Rubio, mm-hmm. uh, which will be in the paper on Saturday, and then uh, Hillary uh, today on Friday. And that will be uh, next week, and that will wrap them up. Oh, will it? Mm-hmm. My that, goodness. And that concludes our broadcast day. <laughs> that, that will be all of the candidates. We, uh, I don't think we ever got Lincoln Chafee Day in the lifetime. So right. A few of them dropped out before we were able to complete the day on the trail with them. Right. Rick Perry, now. Scott Walker, now. So the ones who didn't stay in it for too long, we weren't able to accomplish but the ones that are still in it we've done all of them and we got you know kind of expanded access to most of them yeah right most of the campaigns were uh would at least acknowledge that we were there if they wouldn't so yeah we talked about this the the modern day campaign has changed back in the mm-hmm. day when we would send the monitor would send a photographer to go behind the scenes with bill clinton with a candidate, you could really go behind the scenes. They basically let you be a fly on the wall. I mean, even George W. Bush uh, allowed us on the, the very iconic shot of him sitting in a chair with his feet up and he's got a hole in his boots um, with his arms back behind his head, smiling. Um, those days are pretty much over with because of the control of the candidates. And most of it has to do with social media, wouldn't you agree? Yeah. That they do not want to show anything that will be played a million times on Twitter of them tripping, of them coughing up something, (laughs) as it were. Um, And like you said, something coming out of their nose. Um, It's it's just the way things have changed. Mm -hmm. And of course, what's funny is that I, I would argue that kind of this quest for control is really futile anyway, because just following candidates around in normal circumstances, you're able to take plenty of embarrassing photos if that would be your, your mission. And indeed, I've, I've seen a couple um, of our, in our archives of a certain candidate, I mean, just from this cycle, that are, are hilarious on one hand, and Ooh, yet, and yet on the hand? other hand... Which ones? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying. What are you talking about? We can, well, you know, we might, we might want to use them later. The, the, the embarrassing photos? We want to blackmail this candidate? Well, no. <laughs> just say, the, 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 I guess we have published one of them. I just don't want to talk about things that we haven't published yet. I see. But the one that we have published, certainly, that is that is a, an interesting and not the most flattering shot is of Marco Rubio in the giant chair. Oh, well, that was a nice... That, I mean, that's there's nothing wrong with that shot. It's not. There's nothing wrong. My point is, is that if you're saying you don't want people backstage because it might embarrass... You know, it yeah. might lead to an embarrassing shot. You know, there people, candidates do plenty of things in public that you could get embarrassing shots from. Mm-hmm. That went Twitter. T- Twitter went wild on that one. 
mm-hmm. for sure. And that that kind of would I think speaks to what you're talking about, Jeff, which is a more controlled nature. So back to your question, Clay. The campaigns will generally give us a nod. They'll give us they'll work with us a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. they'll give you a, a few moments here and there. They'll pull back the curtain a little bit. But you're it's no longer the fly on the wall where you can go literally everywhere. You can't you can't get in the bathroom with the candidate, the men's room with the candidates, or women's room with the candidates like we once could because of that. And I'm I'm referencing the uh, the shot of Bill Clinton by Dan Habib splashing water on his face in the men's room. Though the days of that photo aren't, I don't, I think are dead. I think are gone. Well, it also depends on the candidate, too. It does. There will right. be some candidates who might still do that, but I'm sure Jim Gilmore would let him fo- let us follow him wherever he went. But True. <laughs> and, well, in fairness, when we followed Lindsey Graham, he he was with John McCain, and both of them were like, come wherever you like, say whatever you want, you know, do go, you have full access. So Lindsey Graham was not, you can only be here, you can only be there. Very genuine, very very welcoming to both Liz and Ella. That was, they both said that that was a lot of fun. And the same with uh, Martin O'Malley. I mean, that there was no denial of access there. Um, but what's, what's happened in the last month with the Trump campaign is they actually are containing us in a penned area. And um, and they give the crowd rotten tomatoes <laughs> to throw at you. Yes. He, he gets them riled up. He gets them riled up. And, and I experienced that last Monday at, at Concord High School. And, um, and it also talks sort of what John was talking about. In the beginning, they let us walk around so that we could talk to people. And then they came up. A woman specifically came up to me and said, well, you have to go in the pen now. I said, excuse me. And I was basically escorted. And there are now Secret Service, which kind of back up what the campaign people are talking about. And then once you get in the penned area, Donald Trump comes out. You take your photos from there. And then individually, photographers and videographers would be let up to do to walk the line afterwards while the rest are acting like little puppies going can we go can we go can we go and um it, it's it's it is a demeaning experience it, it really is um and not all the campaigns are doing that but mm-hmm. the trump is actually penning people in well but of course so little of what trump has been doing has been kind of by any book anyway so john you were going to say there were three campaigns that gave us no special access whatsoever that either didn't return our phone calls or ignored us as we were doing the day on the trail so in some cases we would just tell them that this was the day and because they had a lot of public events on their schedule and we would just show up and hope for the best so the trump campaign gave us no special access no no one-on-one interview, no behind-the-scenes, nothing. So that was uh, one. Oh, wait a minute. There was the time where he told Ella that she could come back stage and get a picture with him. Yes. Not a picture of him, but a picture with him. And there's some, there's, 
some dispute whether he knew that she was a member of the press or he just thought that she was standing there, that she was a member of the audience. And so, yeah, you want a picture with me? And she actually, we included this in the Day in the Life story. She said, I'm actually a reporter. And, and he says, he pauses, thinks about it, says, well, would you still want to take a picture with me? Um, so we put that in there. We actually based our Day in the Life on Trump on his... Um, oh, visit to Burlington, Vermont, to Bernie Land. So that was just so interesting, a juxtaposition, and it was such a lively event. Uh, we based it there. So Ted Cruz, no favors, no special access. Didn't even acknowledge uh, a hello to either myself or to Nick Reed. And Nick uh, followed him and and doggedly tried to ask him questions. And he he literally did not say a word. Did not say a word. And again, then there's police and and sure, sure. sort of escorts that are kind of shushuing away. And number three, Ben Carson. Nothing there. Uh, we went to his little Christmas pageant at the Capitol Center for the Arts. Uh, there, he was polite and cordial, but the campaign worked with us in no no way whatsoever to give us anything other than what was publicly available. At the stop, so we we we're, I mean, hap- we're happy to to just take what we're given and um, well, you know a, generate the. I wouldn't say we're happy. It's a better story when we get. It's certainly better photographs when you get special access, where you get a little behind the scenes access. The story can be better, but really the access to the photographer is where these things live or die. And it is on a spectrum. I mean, there's some that are no access, there's some that are some access, and then there's some that are great access. Well, and certainly among those three, too, like we've had, you know, we had contacts with them about trying to negotiate these things out in in some cases, and in some cases they were, seemed very amenable at various points to doing that kind of project, and then ultimately just didn't get back to us. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that was the case, certainly with both the Trump and Cruz campaigns at various points. They were, they seemed very positive, and then they just, they just didn't do it at all. And sometimes, Jonathan, uh, the people that we were talking to somehow were not in the campaign anymore. <laughs> the person that we had been trying to get. We're talking about Ben with. Carson here. Yeah. I think, as he had a well, very... and then Trump, we were actually talking to Hope Hicks, who's still there, and Corey Lewandowski, his campaign manager. So we couldn't have talked to people in the Trump campaign that were more well positioned to say yes, um, but we never got the yes. I did right. get a call, a couple callbacks from Corey, and then it was a little phone tag, but never, never were able to put it together. Well, and so let's talk now, though. I mean, because as we're talking about something like you know Trump, and I think a lot of what's going on with his campaign has to do with where he is in the race. You know, let's talk a little bit now just about that general positioning in the race now, because we've had some new polling come out this week, and um, you know things are things are getting very interesting. Let's put it that way. Um, I think the latest polls, you know, certainly on the Democratic side, you have a giant lead now, supposedly, for uh, Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. And then on the Republican side, you have the supposed kind of Kasich surge uh, coming up behind, behind Trump, but Trump's still, still leading. So, John, what's, what's your take on, on those numbers and how, how much do you feel like they're actually rea- reflecting what's going on right now? New Hampshire's numbers, I think, I think New, on the Democratic side, I think, I think New Hampshire's still an outlier in terms of Bernie. Uh, 
Um, Bernie is, according to the most recent polls, I mean, he's really running away with the the election. Um, he's got unbelievable support, favorability ratings, and the most interesting thing wasn't the straight up, you know, who do you prefer among likely Democratic voters, Hillary or Bernie? Who's more likable, Hillary or Bernie? It was the day after they released the uh, opinions of people of how does Bernie fare against this Republican? How does Hillary fare against this Republican? And Bernie won in all those races and Hillary didn't win in all of those races. She was losing to several of those Republicans. And this is New Hampshire voters' opinions that they would prefer the Republican candidate over Hillary Clinton in many of these races, which turns the national conventional wisdom on its head. Nationally, people are saying the exact opposite, that Hillary is the one that is the Republican killer and that Bernie will lose to the Republicans. But here in New Hampshire, that is not the case. Well, at least according to this most recent round of poll, I mean, this most recent poll, you know, so the, the question always with uh, with polling, especially as you get the UNA Survey Center poll, right. which is New Hampshire's gold standard of polling. Right. But, you know, but polling in early primary states is can be very erratic. I mean, it can show big changes in very short, short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 hard to know. Um, I personally find it difficult to believe that, you know, Bernie Sanders, I mean, I think he may well win here, but I find it difficult to believe that he will win with such a margin. But, you know, I've been wrong before. Um, on the Republican side, though, what, what are you, what's your sense about the Kasich, Kasich story? Well, Kasich had, had pretty much said that he was surging in New Hampshire and, and that word surging, uh, how, what does a surge he defined surge, you know, so he's definitely on an uptick. He, uh, the, the poll said that he was in the middle of the, really, he had risen and he was uh, right in the thick of things for second place. So that, if, if the Republican race is still a race for second place, it's, it's between him, it's between Rubio, it's between Christie, it's between Cruz. Those four are right there. And to some degree, many, well, some people think the candidate that we met with this week, Jeb, is still in it. He's staying on message. He's certainly got the funds. He's articulate. He, he's, he stays away from the bombast. He takes calculated shots at Trump, but against few others. And he tries to make himself stand out as someone with well-thought-out and detailed policy positions um, who's willing to look for solutions as opposed to just shouting um, that the sky is falling. Well, I was really, I was really taken by that um, in watching uh, Bush's editorial board, board meeting this week. Um, you know, for all of the various kind of fun that we might have made of Jeb Bush at various points on this podcast, talking about how his campaign was doing, his lack of traction, so on and so forth. You know, in person, he is a, he's an on-message, you know, intelligent, um, you know, very responsive candidate and, and speaker. And it's surprising to me after sitting down with him in, in that meeting you know, for for the better part of an hour, probably a little over an hour, it was surprising to me that that didn't resonate more with, hasn't resonated more with voters so far. Um, and I have to assume that it's a surprise to his campaign as well. He said as much. 
Well, he said he underestimated the Trump factor. Uh, that was the question I asked him uh, about. Did he mis- misread the mood? Well, I, I mean, he, he was reported as saying he misread the mood or the anger of the, the conservative voters. So I asked him if he thought people in New Hampshire, given that Trump is number one and Cruz is number two, if he thought people in New Hampshire were especially angry, if we're angrier as a people. Mm-hmm. No, crowds. And he right. said, no, just you, Jeff. You're angrier. You, Clay, you're angrier. <laughs> Um, if crowds are any indication, <clears throat> I was surprised on Monday at Concord High School. Um, and again, it was very cold that day, very cold. Um, it was not a full event. And you have to remember... And this, just, is, this is... Who, who, who's the... This is, this is Donald Trump, Donald Trump on, on, yeah. on Monday. Now, you, now, take that and then, what was it, less than a month ago... He had 8,000 people in Lowell, Mass. I mean, he filled a freaking stadium. Mm -hmm. So I was a little surprised that uh, the Concord High School gym was eh, two-thirds full. And uh, the energy of the room was not of a candidate that's in front or surging. I, I was a little surprised. Well, there's certainly been, I've, I've read at least within the last week, a couple of pieces really beginning to suggest that Trump's you know, lead in New Hampshire is maybe not as robust or as real as I think many people have assumed over the last few months. In other words, that when it comes down to the actual voting, uh, the actual decision-making for people, that he's fading a little bit. And, and, and that's largely because... You know, even if he has 32, 33% support, that means that there's like 67, 68% of Republicans who don't back him in the state. And again, on uh, Cruz on Tuesday, uh, Nick Reed asked uh, two people what they thought, and both said they were convinced right on the spot. I'm now going to vote for Cruz. And both had said they were leaning towards Trump. Yes. And then mm-hmm. said, you know, I wasn't sure about Trump. Now that I've heard Cruz, he's my guy. Well, that's that interesting, too, that the, kind of the late play for New Hampshire from Ted Cruz. Like, he's working very hard here. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing, I mean, what, what do you think that is? Is it's just he's spent as much time and money in Iowa as he can, or does he sense a real opportunity here? I think he senses a real opportunity everywhere because as people get closer to voting time, when they actually go into the ballot box or when they go into the voting booth, rather, they want, I think, if we're, if the myth of the discerning New Hampshire voter is true, that they want to hear policy, they want to know solutions, they want to know plans, and while Trump has not delivered on those, Cruz sees an opportunity. Because if you want someone who's going to lay out a, a, a detailed um, agenda. agenda, Cruz, that's what Cruz does. That's mm-hmm. what he's good at. And he is still channeling some of that anti-establishment anger. Sure no question. That it, <laughs> no that, question. That seems to be like the real essential ingredient for, for a lot of potential voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every campaign stop was Second Amendment, Second Amendment, Second Amendment. And it, it brings them out. I mean, the, there were a lot of people that wanted their guns signed in the last two weeks. It's, it, it is really interesting. One of the things I've, I've started doing here these last couple of weeks for our forum section is putting together just a little blurb on the cover of the section, kind of counting down 
the primary with a little bit of history or a little odd tidbit or photo. And um, it's, it's very interesting to, to look back at the history of the New Hampshire primary and just realize how erratic it is. You know, there, there's this kind of myth about it that it's like, oh, we always pick the president. Well, we don't always pick the president. Uh, there's this notion that we're always important. Well, we're not actually always quite that important. It, it's a, it's a, and it actually makes the history a little more interesting. You know, that, uh, you know, the first person to win the New Hampshire primary uh, and have it make be a, a really big deal was Dwight Eisenhower in 1952, and he didn't even campaign here. <laughs> so um, it's, it's, so I think this, this notion somehow that the primary is always a certain thing, you know, and that certain things always work here. I, I just, I, I, the, I think the evidence actually shows the opposite, that this is actually a very dynamic contest and that every four years it kind of reshapes itself. And I would say right now it's volatile. There's going to be some real swings. Don't you agree, Jonathan, in yeah. the next couple of weeks? Could be. I mean, and, you know, we also haven't had kind of the late burst of scandals yet. Is that something that always, you know, always comes Wait up? till you read the Sunday paper. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, um, I was going to float the notion that maybe the New Hampshire primary is a media creation. That it's actually the national media that keeps the New Hampshire primary alive. Why? Because imagine trying to crisscross California or Texas and chase all these candidates. It would be logistically impossible. New Hampshire's small. The people here are used to being used to becoming props for, for political events. They're, and they're sophisticated. They because they do their homework and they ask questions and they want to hear from candidates. I mean it's it's a tradition. Mm-hmm. Geraldo Rivera was at the State House this week, I've been told. Mm-hmm. Did you guys hear this? No, was I, he I opening didn't. Opening another chest up, or was <laughs> yes, he, he he found Al Capone's vault. <laughs> Boy, yeah, we date I, ourselves. I, I am we? impressed that you remember the specifics of what Geraldo Rivera was looking for, as I had I had blanked on that. I know I stayed up late with thinking that sooner or later he was going to strike gold. But you know, okay. So uh, <laughs> earlier this week, Maggie Hassan signed her two uh, signed two fast track. Uh, drug abuse bills and signed them into law. And because all the presidential candidates are here and because the opiate crisis is such a big deal, it's everyone, what everyone's talking about, Geraldo Rivera decided to go to go to the bill signing and, and witness law in action, bills becoming law. So Geraldo, and, and there's like Japanese media, there's the Discovery Channel, there's all kinds of stuff that's going on right now. The There is national media and international media up the wazoo in New Hampshire right now. There was actually a crew from Showtime that had, uh, they had two vans, they had two sound men they had two videographers a producer and they're all from la and they were following chris christie the whole day that's interesting and i i never found out what they were what they were doing but showtime i mean that's a different take you know i think one of the things is that that happens to us is i'm going to get really philosophical here for a moment so i apologize in advance don't apologize but, but you know we in the you know the the news media business 
you know, we are super aware of the fact that people love stories. You know, people love narratives. They love, you know, you know, old stuff like, you know, the underdog comes from behind to win. They love, you know, the, the, the challenger, the, you know, the front runner. They, they, people love stories. And, and that's how we understand our lives. We understand our lives as stories, which, of course, you know, if you really want to get down to it, there are no stories, right? I mean, there's just a bunch of events and we just kind of string them together. And, and that's how we make up the stories. But, you know, if you think about something like choosing a, a president which is this hugely chaotic process that involves, you know, sometimes dozens of candidates and hundreds of political operatives and 50 states and all of that. I, New Hampshire is important, John, in, in perhaps in just the way that you say to the national media in that New Hampshire is a way to tell the story that's really easy at the beginning or that's easier because, it's a, as you say, it's a small state, engaged populace, you're able to come here and sketch the characters and kind of say, this is how this story starts. And, um, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's valuable for that. But, you know, just like I say, you know, to a certain extent, you know, when you talk about the real world and you try to understand it through stories, you got to understand those stories are not always 100% true. They're just a way to understand it. They're, they're not actually the thing itself always. Whoa. <laughs> That's... That's deep, man. Whoa. <laughs> you know, I just, that just was my thought. Um, and we have such cool lifelong residents like Scott Brown. That's, that's right. Or the, uh, the official New Hampshire voter who gives his card out to everyone, who, who I spoke with back in April in Nashua, and I saw him turning up in a story just this last week. So um, he's everywhere, too. But Scott Brown did know that it takes about a half an hour to get from Rochester to Rye. So you have to give him that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's not a Johnny come lately. True. Um, so, John, this is also the point of most podcasts where I ask if you have anything else. I do. i got a couple things. Okay. Ray Duckler went to the New Hampshire Institute of Politics and covered the lesser-known <laughs> candidate forum all the people who will never become president and came away somewhat uh, amused, but also somewhat um, revived in the political process that pretty much in this country, any man or woman um, who, has man, a th who has a thousand dollars, who has a thousand bucks, banker's check, not personal check. I was hanging out with Dave Scanlon and he made this, made this uh, point to me that Trump, wanted to write a personal check to the Secretary of State's office, which they will not accept. You cannot write a personal check. Cash or bank check only. So if you got a thousand bucks cash or a thousand dollar bank check, you can be on the ballot and run for president in the state of New Hampshire. Well, I do believe it was Trump's bank that he wrote the check <laughs> off of. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, th there was that. It was a, it was a good read. Um, it was, uh, it was, and I'm, I'm happy that we were able to cover that, that it's not all front runners and, you know, horse race stuff, that, that democracy is still about ideas and the primary is still about furthering those ideas and taking on, getting on your soapbox, get, bringing your ideas, no matter how, how, where you come from, you can reach a national stage. So that was kind of cool. And then, um. Now to the everyday voter, mm -hmm. we have our partnership here at the Monitor with change.org that 
online town hall is now up and running. The website changepolitics.org. Mm-hmm. This is where people can pose questions that the candidates are going to answer before the primary. Uh, right now, uh, people can not only pose the questions, they can endorse the candidates, and they can also vote on the questions they like the best. The 10, um, five, sorry, five of the 10 most popular questions, if you're following me, will be asked, and then one wild card. So the candidates will face six questions. So of the 10 most popular questions, there'll be some some weeding out of which of those questions will be asked, and then the monitor will be publishing a special section on February 7th with the candidates' answers and a number of other cool things, including a lot of Jeff's and Liz's photos from along the trail, roundups of issues, special election primer. I'm going to look forward to that. Will you? Are you laying it out? uh, Probably so. Potentially. Probably this week. <laughs> uh, maybe. Well, next. But uh, anyway, so John, thank you for coming in. I have more. No. No, okay. No, we don't. We don't. And uh, Jeff, thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to episodes of this podcast series through iTunes or Stitcher. And for all the latest, visit politics.conqueredmonitor.com. We'll see you all next week.